This evening's scripture is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, on page number 944, and the Bible's under the chairs in front of you. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello again. And uh, hey, if you're new with us uh, this weekend, you've actually picked a great uh, weekend to come out and visit Foothill Church. We're actually starting uh, a a quick four-week series uh, we're calling Carols, and we're kind of just looking at kind of all these Christmas carols that uh, a lot of us have grown up uh, singing out loud and just kind of having attached to a lot of those emotions or memories or feelings that we may have um, kind of just wrapped up during this Christmas season. So uh, for me, it, think, it makes me think about some of my favorite memories um, during the Christmas season. Uh, something that I just remembered this, this past week is uh, I remember the church that we grew up going to actually just here in town. Uh, one of the things that they would always do was to have this kind of hayride thing where this big hayride cart was pulled by, I think, a tractor, and we would get on the back, and we would sing Christmas carols throughout Glendora, and kind of, like, you know, wave to the people in the village, and, you know, it was cute, and it was kind of Christmassy, and I was just thinking about, like, man, those, those are some of those things that you really look forward to during the season, um, and, and I remember even for, for me as a kid, anticipating that hayride and asking my parents, hey, hey mom and dad, is it this week? Is it, is it this week that's going to be the hayride? And I kind of just, I was thinking about that, and so what we want to do is just look at some of these songs these carols that for many of us, we may sing out loud uh, every single year, and we may not even really know what they mean, right? A, a lot of these words were written a long time ago, and we don't really talk that way anymore, but it's something that's kind of made its way into Christmas tradition. And so I, I know for me as well, it's, it's good to take a second look sometimes at why these words are crafted a certain way. And even though Christmas in a lot of ways has, has gotten kind of commercialized and and uh, even, you know, even the music that we uh, hear on TV, maybe a, a, some of these carols are kind of more closely associated with, you know, an Old Navy commercial as opposed to the incarnation of Christ, right? It's just kind of the, the thing we think about. And I, I really believe that if we can kind of remember what these words are about, uh, we can remember what we're supposed to be doing during this Christmas season. That's ultimately bringing glory to God through our, through our song, through our lives. And that's what we want to do. So I'm, I'm kicking us off. Um, by the way, if you, you came in late, my name is Stephen. I'm not Chris, um, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to be here uh, t- talking about our first Christmas carol, one that's actually very well known to all of us, and that's Joy to the World. We actually just sang it a couple uh, minutes ago, and, and so just a little bit of context for you for this song, Joy to the World. It was, it was written uh, by an, an old English hymn writer named uh, Sir Isaac Watts, and he wrote this song in 1719. And when he wrote Joy to the World, when he wrote these lyrics, uh, this song actually has to do with Jesus' second coming of, uh, second return uh, at the end of the age. And so a lot of times we'll sing these songs and we may think, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus is coming, that's great. And yeah, that's kind of part of it, and we'll get into that. But maybe that's something you weren't aware of. Joy to the World wasn't originally intended as a song for, you know, newborn baby Jesus, right? It, it was for Jesus' second coming. And so I alluded to this before, but that's kind of where I want to hang out today and talk about this idea of anticipation. In fact, if you guys are are, are note takers, go ahead and write that word down. 
There won't be a whole lot of notes on, on the screen, but write down the word anticipation. That's kind of a word we're going to be circling around um, all evening here. And it's an important word because it, ref- it might reframe how you view this song, Joy to the World, but more importantly, how we prepare our hearts to approach the next four weeks uh, of Advent. And so I think a lot of us do a pretty decent job of anticipation, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what we do during these fall months, right? We're always kind of anticipating the next thing, uh, getting ready for the next thing. And so um, uh, let me share just two quick examples uh, from, from my life of what anticipation has kind of looked like the past few weeks. So first of all, like many of you, uh, celebrated uh, Thanksgiving uh, this past Thursday, super fun, right, also known as, you know, binge eating and nap day, right, and it, it's this great day where we get to enjoy family and friends, and so a lot of us, we spend our time anticipating and getting ready for Thursday, right, and so there's grocery shopping, or maybe there's, you know, you have to make the mashed potatoes and cut up the, cut up the potatoes, or they're stuffing a turkey, or maybe it's your job to, you know, clean the house up, or get the backyard ready, or just kind of watch the kids while all this crazy stuff is happening. And it's kind of all in order to prepare for this, this big day of friends and family and, you know, eating and football and all the stuff that we really love about Thanksgiving. And uh, it, it's fun to do these things. We, we enjoy preparing for it. Uh, we don't really enjoy cleaning up afterwards, but we enjoy preparing for it. And it's something that we all kind of get excited about. There's anticipation involved. Uh, maybe some of you even had kind of a, a blended, you know, hybrid week where you got ready for Christmas, too. How many of you guys have your Christmas trees up already? A few of you guys? All right. Right on. Uh, we actually put ours up this week. Uh, put ours up yesterday. Um, I, I laid down for a nap for about 20 minutes. And I came out, and Katie had just put the tree up. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. She's, she's like my little elf, right? And uh, I, I don't even understand how that happened so fast. But some of us maybe decorate... Uh, decorate our houses and put lights up, and it's all, again, anticipating uh, what's going to happen at the end of December, and kind of just getting ready for it, and it's all in the name of enjoyment, right? We just, we just enjoy it, and so we got our tree up, and we're ready to go. So that's the first scenario, okay? Remember that kind of anticipation story number one. Uh, here's another one for your consideration. A few weeks back, um, I had just a day where I just wasn't feeling great. Okay, I just, you know, I had a headache, I, I was feeling tired, and I kind of had, uh, I was anticipating coming home, kind of a different kind of anticipation, more of an expectation, coming home, and I really just wanted to kind of chill out and just sit for a few minutes, right? I, before I jumped in with Katie and the kids, uh, coming home from work, and just kind of want to sit and just be quiet and just kind of get my mind right, and uh, how many of you guys have ever felt that way before, right? All, all of us have at some point, just want to get home and just... Just take a step before we jump into life. And so on this particular day, to to no fault of my wife whatsoever, I I jump home, I get home, uh, I step in the door, and I'm like needed immediately, right? So I I, I step through the door, and there is, there's, you know, an issue in the bathtub, and the kids are in there, and Katie's calling my name, and I just, I mean, I, I had different expectations, right? I wanted to get home and maybe just sit down for a minute. And so I throw my stuff in the corner. I drag my feet to the bathroom. And I'm, I'm literally sitting there for probably uh, 10 seconds. And my two-year-old daughter, who will absolutely uh, love one day that I'm sharing this story, um, my two-year-old daughter, daughter Penny, uh, she decides just to poop in the bathtub. Um, and so we're all sitting there like, okay, that just happened. And it was just like... 
I, I don't, I've, this has never happened to me before, so I'm like, I'm not sure what to do. It's kind of just like, yeah, I just need to go to the bathroom, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. Um, and so I guess, you know, that's just two years old. I guess that's what two-year-olds do. Maybe not your two-year-olds, but my two-year-old poops in the bathtub. Um, and, and by the way, again, this is the first time, so I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Just stand up, I guess, right? Don't touch anything. And I'm trying to, like, pull them out of the bathtub and just stand there. Stop dripping, right? Just stop dripping, just one foot maybe, and don't touch anything. So I'm grabbing all their toys there in the bathtub because they have to have, like, Toys R Us in the bathtub with them. I don't know why. They have all their toys, put them in this bucket, um, trying to rinse them off, trying to clean them off. And for some of you guys who may know me, I have a slight case of OCD, right? I don't, I don't really enjoy dirty stuff. And so, um, but I'm kind of, I, I got my game face on. I'm in the middle of this task, and at some point, I kind of have this out-of-body experience where I'm, like, floating above realizing what I'm doing, and I just, like, I, I just lose it. I start throwing up. Like, and, I, and so I, I got the, the, the poopiness happening in the bathtub. I'm throwing up, and I, I just, I can't handle it anymore. I'm just, I was feeling sick anyway. So <laughs> two different stories of anticipation. I had some, I had some expectations going into that day um, that really weren't met, and Two different outcomes. One ended with me having, you know, delicious green bean casserole and turkey in my belly and feeling all warm and fuzzy and Christmassy. Uh, the other one, right, I'm cleaning up after my daughter, which is my job. I, I understand that, but still, um, cleaning up after my daughter and, and throwing up as a result. And so here's kind of where I want to jump back in this idea of anticipation. Um, because we all anticipate certain things, right? We all kind of get ready and ready our hearts to to have a conversation with someone, or maybe to go see uh, mom or dad, or, or to have, uh, have kind of a, a moment that we, we all anticipate it. Maybe it's a good meal, or maybe it's a nap, or maybe it's a night out. But what I want for us to see is that, uh, as it says in the song, uh, joy to the world, listen to the, the, the words one more time, we just sang them. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And I, what I want us to see is that uh, Christmas, this Advent season, is all about anticipating the most important things. It's all about readying our heart for the most important things, celebrating the arrival of Jesus, and then looking forward and anticipating his second return. That's what Advent is about. And you see, as, as we look back on the first Advent, those of you guys who, who know your Bibles, you realize the first Christmas was set in kind of this dark, uh, kind of lowly, hopeless, despair-filled season for Israel. Um, it was part of the church's tradition when they first started counting the four weeks back uh, before Christmas to call this thing Advent. And it, it kind of began in the fourth century, and the whole goal was to kind of prepare your heart for what was about to happen. Similar for, for those of you guys who may practice a Lent before Easter, it's the whole idea of just kind of preparing your heart, getting the stuff that's not important set aside, and kind of just focusing your heart on, on kind of the reason for the season in, in a very true way. And so Advent became a time to do that. But historically, the first week of Advent was actually supposed to be focusing on the return of Christ as opposed to his, his first coming. And so many of the songs that we sing um, all throughout the year, Christmas or not, they have to do with kind of preparing our hearts to receive the king. And especially during Christmas, if you guys notice these, these carols that we sing, they have to do with preparing our hearts uh, to train our hearts to long for Jesus' return. And it's difficult 
uh, sometimes for us to, to long for that. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to say it, it's not something I think about every day, right? It's not something that kind of comes across my, my brain every day. I mean, man, do we really want him to return? Uh, sometimes, right? I mean, we've got a flat tire. It's like, man, I just I want to be in heaven not have to deal with this stuff. Um, but other times, I mean, I'm not even talking about like, like doing bad, sinful things. I'm just talking about, man, this past Thursday, a lot of you sat around a dinner table and really enjoyed a really great meal with family, had good conversations. Some of you guys didn't, but some of us did. And, and we got to enjoy this, this holiday together. And it's those moments and it's these kind of high points in our life where sometimes I might question, man, do we really anticipate Jesus' return in the way we ought to be? Um, are we really thinking that way? And in the grand scope of things, um, a lot of us have it pretty good, right? I mean, just simply by being Americans, you know, and I realize there's, there's people in this room who are, are struggling right now and having a hard time, but in, in the grand scope of things, simply by living in this country at this time in history, man, we're not only in the top percent in the, you know, in the, in the world, but we're in the top percent of human history and how good we have it. And I would question if we really want uh, Christ to return, if we really yearn and, and, and want to have a desire for that. Uh, if you were here last week, I was, uh, maybe you were too, I was impressed by Pastor Chris's vast knowledge of social media. Um, he talked a little bit about that and, and hashtags. And if you guys weren't aware, uh, we actually have a pretty hip pastor. I'm not sure if you guys know that. If you're ever in question about that, just look at his shoes. His shoes are pretty cool all the time. Um, and, and so he was, he's talking about hashtags, and I was thinking about kind of hashtags that, that, um, that make me chuckle sometimes. And if you guys don't know what a hashtag is, just ask your kids at some point. Um, and one of these hashtags that I see maybe on Twitter every once in a while is this hashtag first world problems. How many of you guys have ever heard of hashtag first world problems? A few of you guys? Okay, let me just give you a few examples. And just, just kind of think about how, man, do we really have it that bad? Right? Do we really uh, have uh, this burning desire to see Jesus return anytime soon? So a couple for us to just look at here. Uh, I went to go babysit for an hour, and the kids didn't know what their own Wi-Fi password was. <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. I mean, that's, that's tough, right? I mean, I've been there. That's rough. Let's see the next one. My iPad Air doesn't warm up my lap as much as my MacBook Pro. Man. Hashtag first world problems. And this last one, I love food, so I don't have enough chips for my dip, but if I open another packet of chips, I won't have enough dip for my chips. Man, these are real issues, right? And this is the kind of stuff that we deal with on a regular basis. And look, I, I, again, I realize some of you guys are going through it right now, but for the most part, these are the kind of problems that a lot of us deal with on a regular basis. Um, man, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. I, you, don't, you don't have your Wi-Fi password? What am I going to do for the next half hour? I have to like, sit here and talk to you, right? And, and so a, a lot of these problems we have are pretty minuscule. And so for us as Christians, that can be a little tricky for us to anticipate Christ's return when in reality we don't really have a whole lot of need for him to return because we got, we got a lot of things locked down. Uh, a lot of life is good, and I'm not really sure if I want Jesus to come back, Right? Um, one more example, a guy named Jonathan Acuff, he came out with a book a few years back. Maybe you guys have read this book. It's called Stuff Christians Like. And uh, it's based on a blog he, he wrote, and it's an amusing read, and it might offend some of you guys, so don't necessarily go there. But um, one of these things that he, he writes about, his title is Stuff Christians Like, Ranking Honeymoon Sex Slightly Higher Than the Second Coming of Christ. 
And this is what he says about this. He goes and says, I know deep down there's a part of you thinking, I'm going to be so mad at Jesus if he comes back before I get to have sex. That's a fair thought. It's all pretty amazing. But bear in mind what you are also saying is that the return of the Messiah is slightly less awesome than sex. So, I mean, point made, right? I mean, it's hard sometimes for us to think about uh, longing and anticipating Christ's return when, man, we have it good. We have it, we have it good. And a lot of us, we need to recognize that the world is a messed up place. And, and not to the point where it gets us depressed about it, but we just have to have a realistic view. And we have to yearn for Christ's return. That we have to realize, man, that, that the, the world is wrought with sin and death and disease and corruption. And we, we need Christ more than ever. And again, this is what Israel had spent so much of their history doing. Um, kind of what we see during this Advent season, longing for their Messiah. Longing for their Messiah. And they had these hopes. They had these prophecies. They had these, these promises. And, and the cry of their heart for, for a young Jewish guy would have been, man, come, Messiah, come. Come in my lifetime. Come set things right. Because Israel was keenly aware of, of the world's state and that things weren't going that well. Um, even though they had their own space, uh, they had their own land, they were always under the, the rule and oppression of, of someone else. In Jesus' time, it was the Romans. And they just wanted to have things set right. They couldn't worship they, the way they wanted to worship. Yeah, uh, Herod, he set up this, this kind of mock temple, but the, the real Jews weren't really having any part of it. It wasn't legitimate to them. And so things weren't quite right. And beyond all that, Israel as a country had been nourished on all of these promises, right? All these, these rich promises that one day this was going to end, that one day oppression would end, one day things would be set right in their world, that living under the thumb of pagan rulers and corrupt kings would be no longer. And there would be this day where the Messiah would come and he would restore order to the kingdom, and uh, for just a minute, just sit and listen to some of these Old Testament prophecies. And some of you guys may have read these before uh, about the Messiah. And this is something that the, a Jewish person would have totally uh, just had close to their heart at all times. Uh, Genesis 12:3, the Messiah will come from the line of Abraham. Isaiah 7:14, the Messiah's mother will be a virgin. Genesis 17:19, the Messiah will be the descendant of Isaac and Jacob. Micah 5:2, the Messiah will be born in the town Bethlehem. Genesis 49.10, the Messiah will be a member of the tribe of Judah. Jeremiah 23.5, the Messiah will be from the lineage of King David. Jeremiah 31.15, the Messiah's birth will be accompanied with great suffering and sorrow. Isaiah 53.10-11, the Messiah will live a perfect life, die by crucifixion, resurrect from death, ascend into heaven, and sit at the right hand of God. And so for a lot of us, we may hear that list and say, okay. Right? That, that's interesting. But for, for a, a Jewish person, hearing these prophecies, being nourished on these promises, man, they were always looking. They were kind of always kind of had their ear to the ground. Hey, I, I heard about this new prophet guy. Right? He, he, he fit a couple of these. And then you hear later on, it, it really didn't work out. And, and they would always kind of just be thinking about, man, when is the Messiah coming? All of these events work together. And it's amazing stuff. We could spend, you know, a long time talking about Old Testament prophecies when it comes to the Messiah. But the point is this. The, the Jews of Jesus' day, they were, 
they had all these events, and they all belonged together. They all had to do with each other. And the end of the age was this time of, of resurrection. They would have these newly resurrected bodies, and, and Israel would be restored. And so when they see Jesus uh, back from the dead, back from being crucified and in the grave for three days, in the book of Acts, they run up to him and say, Lord, is, is it happening? Is this it right now? Because I see your body. It's the newly resurrected body. Is this now? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And so for any young Jewish boy or girl from a very early age, you were trained to look for these things, to think about these things, to see how kind of common and current events would kind of line up together. And, and one was supposed to trigger the next. When Messiah came, covenant would be restored. When Messiah came, the temple would be rebuilt. The spirit would be poured out. All would be made right. And for us as modern-day Christians, uh, this is just not how we think. We don't think this way. We think about our, our lives and how busy we are and cleaning up two-year-olds from bath bathtub. Uh, we think about other things. And I think it's, it's important for us to remember um, here at the beginning of December as we look towards Christmas, that we have to be longing for Christ in the same way. Uh, that we have to be on the lookout. That we have to be watching and, and, and kind of just waiting. And man, I can't wait till he returns. And we'll talk about his first arrival during the series. Um, Chris will get into a, a lot of that next week. But we'll, I want uh, to talk today specifically about what it means to kind of uh, anticipate his second coming. And so we heard this uh, passage read already. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Romans 8, uh, verses 19 to 21. And I just want to look at this passage really quickly and, and how it relates to our position of, of awaiting Christ's return. And just listen to the language that Paul uses here in Romans 8, verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Just stopping right there. Something for us to realize, remember here, is that when he says the sons of God, he's not talking about, you know, this kind of ultra elite club of Christians or, you know, these people who are like, we're talking about our church, Foothill Church, and making it just awesome. Or we're not even talking about, like, one day America's going to be a Christian nation again. That's not what he's getting at at all. He's talking about, man, all brothers and sisters in Christ, the moment where all Christians will one day uh, rise up with newly resurrected bodies. And the end, that creation is longing for that day. Uh, verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So these words are, are packed with imagery. And uh, we could talk a long time about this, but one of the most probably greatest and most familiar imagery pieces we see here is a glimpse of the Exodus. And uh, if you guys know much about, about the Exodus, it's, you know, when Israel was set free from bondage in, in Egypt. And, and so a Jewish audience would be hearing this in Romans chapter 8 and saying, okay, Paul, uh, so you're saying that creation is in bondage? It's kind of like it's in slavery. It's longing to be freed from chains. Well, we understand that. Uh, we've, been, we've been told those stories all of our life about how our people were in bondage and how they were in slavery. So we kind of know a little bit about that. 
We've been nourished on that story of the people leaving Egypt and this great exodus that liberated us. But Paul, you're also saying that there's something else that's still coming. And, and that's, that's this, this part where you, when creation itself will be released from bondage. And yes, this is true when Paul wrote it 2,000 years ago, but it's still true today. And church, I want us to understand that the world is in bondage as we speak, as we sit comfortably here in our seats. The world is in bondage, and we see this all around us. There's signs in it in the way that our, our body breaks down. If you woke up today and your, your knee ached, it's because the world is in bondage. It's because of the curse of sin. There's signs in it in the inconsistencies we see throughout nature, right? So next week, um, my family and I are going on a, a little trip to Yosemite, Bass Lake area. And I'm so excited because uh, I haven't been up there in a long time, and I'm excited just to see everything, right, to see nature and to see how beautiful it is. And there's moments when nature will just kind of smack you in the face with that and say, wow, look, look how awesome I am, all pointing back to God. But then there's this inconsistency as well where nature will also take a horrible turn, like we know about a month ago with those, those typhoons in, Phil in the Philippines. And it's like, what's up with that? Like nature, in one sense, is this majestic, God-glorifying thing, and in the other sense, it's this terrible, awful thing. Well, it's simply just another evidence that we see that the world is in bondage, and creation is literally screaming to be free from that bondage. Things are not quite right, and we have to understand that. Uh, this is really how Genesis sets it up from the beginning. If you guys know uh, the story of Genesis, it explains how God the Father, he made heaven and earth, and he calls it good, and because of man's rebellion, he says, okay, you're out. You're, you're, you're out of uh, Eden, exiled out of the garden of perfection. And so humanity itself started living in exile, and, and, and beginning with Adam and Eve, banished from, uh, from Eden, longing for that day where one day the apostle John, in the book of Revelation, he sees this vision of what it's going to be like one day, and, and the Israelites uh, are, are going to be uh, uh, freed from their, from their bondage ultimately. And so this is kind of this, this story back and forth of, of exile and homecoming, exile and homecoming. You kind of see this through the Old Testament. And, and so there's stories all throughout. And so the Israelites were freed from Egypt, uh, and they were in exile, and, and then they were homecoming by being freed. And then later on, you see generations of Israel pass through, and eventually, if you know your, your, your history at all, the kingdom of Israel actually split into the northern and southern kingdom. And so the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, was actually taken over by the Babylonians. And again, they're in exile. They're in captivity. They're in bondage. And it's interesting because Jeremiah and Isaiah, these Old Testament prophets that were kind of the mouthpieces for this time in, in biblical history, these two prophets who prepared Judah for this time, uh, they say this, they remind the people that stand there in bondage, and they say, but the Lord will restore you. But the people who live in darkness will see a great light. There will be one, a child will be born, and his kingdom will have no end. He will be the ruler. And so this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That all of creation longs for the creator God to set the world right. Um, 
one more passage. I, I just have to read this to you guys. Psalm 97. David writes this. The, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. And what's so awesome about this passage in, in Psalm is that it's one part proclamation. All right? So, yes, he, he does indeed reign. Uh, don't be fooled, Christian, by what you see around you. Even though we may be living in bondage, uh, we can sing this truth that he is the king over the earth. So it's one part proclamation. And on the other hand, it's also petition. And when we read these verses, when we pray these words that we see here in Scripture, we're saying that, yes, it's true, but, Lord, come and continue to be king. Continue to have your hand over this, this world. Lord, come and reign. Make the reality that you know uh, match up with the reality that we see in this world. And so this is, this is the kind of anticipation that, man, I, I want us to understand uh, during this Christmas season that we need to have a correct understanding of the state of our world and understanding that Jesus will one day return. And Christmas may take on a different meaning. Look at verse 2 of Joy to the World again. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen behind me, but let's just listen to this. Uh, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And look at the anticipation we see in verse 3. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And so we sing these words, and when we do so, what we're doing is we're asking the Lord to come and reign, to be the king, because creation itself is longing for Jesus to return. Look, there's a, um, there's a freedom in, honestly, knowing that the world has fallen. This song, Joy to the World, that, that first word, uh, joy. Man, so many of us, so many people in this world are looking for, man, what really brings me joy? And for a lot of us during this season, maybe we just run around busying ourselves, and, and that's kind of how we create the sense of joy for ourselves. But there's freedom also in knowing that the world has fallen, uh, that we still live in bondage, because things are difficult. And there's some comfort in, in knowing that during this time of the year, because for a lot of us, this season isn't all warm and fuzzy and Christmassy. It's maybe just a painful reminder that, man, life is not great right now. Or maybe it reminds you of a, a lost loved one, or, or maybe the fact that you don't have a job right now, or there, there's all these hardships that are going on. And Christmas just brings that stuff up. And in a bittersweet way, um, let, let's remember that the reminder of loss during the season is right in line with what Advent is all about. That there should be a sense of, of longing and need because we need Christ more than ever. And, and that's the whole point of the season. And so I encourage you guys, as difficult as it may be, the pain of the season, don't gloss over it. Don't just kind of stuff it down. Uh, it's a perfect opportunity for us to say, look, joy to the world. The Lord has come. The Lord is coming still. And, and that's what we have to look forward to. Um, like I said, next week, Chris will get into more about, about this, but I just want to give you a little bit of a preview about this, this thing about, about Advent, about what Jesus did when he came. Um, 
just listen to this. John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is what Jesus did to, to take a step towards us. He, he became flesh. God became man, and he dwelt among his people. And so this is what we long for again. And so as we uh, just wrap this week up, uh, this first week of carols, I just want to give you two um, hopefully practical things for you to take away. Uh, and so if you're a note takers, go ahead and write these things down. Two practical implications for us. Uh, what do we do between the first advent and longing for the final coming? All right, from one advent to the next. First of all, we announce that Jesus is king. We announce that Jesus is king. We announce it. And, uh, you know, the word, uh, the word gospel is a word that a lot of us throw around quite a bit. It's a word that we say uh, quite often. And the reality is it's actually not found in the, the Greek before Paul started to use it. It's not a word that was, you know, you, you read throughout the Bible, and the, go- the word gospel wasn't there to be found. In other words, when Paul used that phrase, uh, good news, the gospel, he's not using an ancient Jewish word. So what did Paul do? Did he just make it up? No, um, he's, he's, he didn't make it up. He's, he's not referencing scripture. What Paul did is he used this word that Caesar at the time was, was using. Uh, Caesar himself. In fact, on Roman coins, it would actually say on that coin, that word, you uh, and Jelion. You and Jelion, good news, gospel. And at the bottom, it was followed up, Caesar is king. And because Caesar is king, there is justice, there is peace, there is freedom for all. And so on their coins, uh, on a Roman's coin, they would have this currency, they'd take it to the market and pull it out, and they couldn't help but be reminded at any point, man, this is, this is the good news, that Caesar is king. Good news. And Paul, Paul took that word when he was writing, and he took that word that was very culturally uh, understood, and he redeems it for truth. And he says, look, Caesar's a lie. Caesar is a lie. I'll tell you who's king. And the real good news is that Jesus is coming back one day. And so this is kind of the root of the word gospel. A lot of times when we, you know, here at church, throw that word around a little bit, right, about being gospel-centered or changed by the gospel, and that is absolutely true. But at the same time, we, we have to remember that the roots of that word uh, it's rooted in kind of this royal announcement. Man, that, that, that Jesus is coming back. The king is coming back, and Jesus is king, and that's the good news. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to tell people that. We have to announce that to people with the way we live, with what we say. Uh, we have to announce the gospel in that way. And so anytime we do anything worthwhile, we have to remember that we do that in the name of the gospel. Uh, we, we do that because Jesus is king. Here, have something to eat. Jesus is king. Hey, here's a bottle of water. Jesus is king. Uh, we, we go and serve, right? We go and wrap presents, and we just try and help out in a practical way because Jesus is king. And that's how we're supposed to live as we anticipate uh, Christ's second return. We announce it. And secondly, I just said it, but... Secondly, we announce it. We, we anticipate it. Number two is we anticipate it. We live our lives in anticipation for Jesus' coming. This, this idea of anticipation that we've been talking about tonight is what's consumed Paul and all of these early Christians. Uh, they so believed that he was coming back that it didn't just change 
how they talked or how they thought about stuff or how they kind of planned long term. It changed the way that they behaved and what they were going to do with their entire life as a result. And, and not in just an ethically, you know, morality-based way, but literally what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so we don't just go to, to Mexico or to go to Skid Row in L.A. or serve Stanton Elementary because it's this cool, hip thing to do. No, we don't care about that. We do that because when we serve the least of these, we are practicing a, a biblical view of anticipation, of expectancy for what God is going to do. And so we live in this fallen world, and we look around, and we see these needs, and we react to them. We respond to these needs. And we're all in on the secret, right? We know that Christ is king. We already know the end of the story. And as a living example of the gospel in my own life, this is how I live from here on out. And that's what I do in the meantime. Uh, and so part of that anticipating is also just being patient. Uh, let me read this to you guys from James 5, 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so the, the royal appearing of the king is at hand. And so we patiently anticipate his coming. And so we wait for it. And so may we long for the world to be set right. Uh, may we long for a, a day when there will be peace, there will be freedom for all. Uh, may we long for Jesus to be king. And so let's, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and pray to that end as we uh, get ready for this Christmas season. Lord, I, just, I thank you so much for this reminder, uh, to me personally, about what this season's about. Um, and, and not that it simply has to do with Jesus being the reason for the season, but that we, we have a, a very specific thing we need to do in the meantime. God, that we would, uh, we would tell people about you and what you've done in our lives. Uh, that we would anticipate uh, with eager hearts your second coming, Lord. And in the meantime, Lord, that we would live in a way uh, that truly reflects that we've been changed by the gospel. God, help us with that. God, I pray for our church uh, this season, Lord. God, I pray that we would be a church that would be more about uh, those that are around us as opposed to those that are just right beside us, God. God, that we would look for opportunities to serve, that we wouldn't be caught up into uh, what this uh, kind of American cultural uh, Christmas time has turned into, Lord, but we would uh, enjoy the season, but enjoy it in a way where we're giving you the glory in everything we do. And so, God, help us with this. We thank you so much for these songs, the heritage of these songs that we have, these carols, to remind us about who you are and about what you're doing in our lives. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for this time. We praise your name. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to uh, spend the rest of our time in worship as we always do here at Foothill, and uh, encourage you guys to participate with us. And so the first thing we're going to do is just have some offering buckets pass by. Um, if you're new with us today, um, this is just for the church family, and so just let that bucket pass by. But if you've brought uh, your tithes, uh, any offering you may have, maybe a, a pledge for the MOVE campaign, go ahead and drop that in that white bucket as it passes. Um, after the bucket passes, you're welcome to stand up and get communion. Uh, there's some stations around you. Um, and so there's, there's two in the back and, and two up here in the front. And so I encourage you guys just to, whenever you're ready, just during this whole worship time, um, take your time.
be thoughtful about it and uh, take communion as we remember what Christ did on the cross for us, breaking his body, shedding his blood for us. And, and that's why we take communion, to remember that as Christ followers. And, and then finally, um, uh, Shane and the team is going to lead us in some songs. And uh, in a few minutes, I just encourage you guys to sing, uh, sing loudly, to stand, to raise your hands, and uh, just to, to respond to what God's done in your life. Uh, so let's just do that together as we worship.